today was our first episode of the HR Evolution or Revolution. Uh, we are joined by Sally Reed, the VP of People and Culture at ACV Auctions. Bobby Spaziani and I kicked off this passion project because uh, we both have a passion for HR. I have a passion for helping people, and I saw the joint disconnect between business and understanding the value of their organization really comes from their people. Um, treating them as a true asset to the organization. And we believe that we can change the world through better HR um, and get businesses back to um, really where they should be in today's day and age uh, to help them kind of stay ahead of their competition. Their most competitive asset, again, is their people. And we're really asking uh, top HR leaders like Sally Reed today to really understand how she developed those vitally uh, important internal relationships how she in, involves herself with the business. So hopefully our HR community can learn something and apply it uh, in their daily lives. Um, so I'm Kevin Rustasi and my partner, Bobby Spaziani. And, and Kevin, I think you hit it on the head. This is certainly a passion project that you and I are, are near and dear to. And I think what really kind of um, encouraged me to kind of continue this and, and, and start this podcast with you is just my own evolution in HR and what I've seen the function Kind of grow to. And so when I got into HR about 10 years ago, um, I really viewed it, it was kind of viewed as an administrative or transactional function. Um, and in some ways, it was viewed as sort of the no function, you know, the business would come to your HR representative, you know, ask them, you know, permission to do certain things and, and HR would give them a quick no. Um, and I found that sort of counterintuitive, because if we want to sit at the table, with our business and provide value upwards and side to side with our business partners, you know, we have to find a way to meet in the middle to say yes, but to let the business know and kind of, you know, make them aware of some of the risks and challenges. Um, but, you know, something I read recently um, kind of hit me hard and, 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 you know, kind of encouraged me um, to continue down this road. And that was that profit shouldn't be a goal or priority of the business, um, but really an outcome of the people and the culture that you create within your organization. I love that. And and speaking about business, I know Sally Reed at ACV Auctions, I don't want to keep you on the icebox too long over there. Um, but uh, I know you're working towards building one of the best companies in the world. And that's why you were brought into ACV Auctions. So welcome to the show, Sally. Do you want to quickly just introduce yourself and tell us your role there at ACV Auctions? Absolutely. A pleasure to be here with you, Kevin and Bobby, and uh, excited to uh, be on the podcast with you guys today. So as you mentioned earlier, I am the VP of People and Culture here at ACV Auctions. And you are absolutely right. You know, it is our intent to be the best employer to work for. Um, we really want to put our people first. We do put our people first, and there's a real commitment across the whole organization to do so. So excited awesome. to talk about that today and uh, share what knowledge I might be able to. Hey, well, we, I know you're a wealth of knowledge, um, and we're going to get into that, but let's have a little fun first, right? I, I don't think the employees really know that you guys have a life outside of HR sometimes. It's only about their lives, right? So... All right, let's uh, let's start with something easy. Um, what did you, if you really had to go to a restaurant and you're ordering your favorite meal, what's your favorite dish? So there's a, an interesting thing. Anyone that knows me, hands down, if you order me a bacon double cheeseburger, no bun, uh, we're good to go. <laughs> That's the key to your heart. It's That's very good. easy. All right, I'm um, and the perfect. second thing that goes with that is if anyone finds me a Diet Dr. Pepper, you are a friend for life. So those two <laughs> things together are a win. Oh, that's man. Those, that's, that's easy. We can do that. We can do that. All right. Well, you're cruising into work. 
first day you just got first day to uh you're going into acv auctions what song were you listening to on full blast <laughs> oh my gosh that's kind of funny actually so first day i wasn't cruising in the office i was cruising into my kitchen um, which was, you know, in that work from home time. So I wasn't really listening to much besides trying to make sure that everyone else in the house was going to give me the opportunity to do what I needed for work that day. Um, so I would say, um, I don't know, so that day I probably wasn't doing much. I say I kind of listened to a little bit of everything. I might have a little affinity for Snoop, but day one, week one, it was literally walking into the kitchen or the dining room and hoping that the three people that were home from college um, and high school in my house would stay in their spaces. <laughs> Well, you, you, you touched on the pandemic side of it, right? And um, a lot of people started their jobs during the pandemic and never got to feel, look, the, I guess, the in-person connections um, with their peers, with their managers, with their senior leadership. How were you able to step into the role and, I guess, hit the ground running? So, you know, it was really something that we had to make a concerted effort for. So I started in a people role during a global pandemic, not really being able to be in person. And that's really what drives me, right, as people. And so it was really a, a very focused effort into using, you know, things like Zoom in a little bit of a different way, being focused because I wasn't walking by someone in the hallway, didn't have a chance just to meet people. And so I did then have to, you know, really try to connect. And with that being said, we had a lot of our teammates work from home, um, but we also had folks that were in our offices. We also had a lot lot of our teammates that were out in the field. And so as soon as, you know, we were able to within the states that we are, you know, I was able to get out there and, you know, help write some cars with our vehicle condition inspectors, come into the office and see our folks that were in here on a regular basis. So that really I tried to create those bonds across and with each group is a little bit different. And everybody's experience during this is a little bit different, um, but really coming into a people role, it was important to kind of get out there and have people know, you know, that we were still here to support. They weren't out there because to your point earlier, you know, I wasn't the only person that started a job during a global pandemic. You mm -hmm. know, people joined our company during that time. People joined other companies during that time. And it was really something that, you know, no matter what kind of playbook a company had, no matter how small or large they were, I'm not so sure anybody had a chapter that said, you know, unscheduled global pandemic. Yeah. And so there wasn't, wasn't anything to, to really refer back to, right? I mean, you think no matter how good you are at planning. And by that point, you know, when I joined here in the fall, I think a lot of companies felt like we've got this. But what we didn't really see coming was this continued um, evolution of, you know, where we were. And so things like, you know, loosening of restrictions, putting back in things that were okay one day were different the next. Um, and really kind of navigating through that together as a team was super important for us. And I do feel like that's how we did that here is we all kind of leaned in. We helped each other out where there were areas of opportunity. We kind of called out each other on those things that we could do differently or where we had um, things we could change. And then together we've evolved. You know, I wasn't here for that long before, you know, obviously went from a private company to a public company. So lots of kind of things happened fast and a lot of growth in that time as well. Yeah. So you, I mean, you had to chase your peers. Um, one of the important things though, that we talk about is those internal relationships, right? And you talked about how you were able to develop it yeah. for our audience, right? If, if you're talking to another HR professional, that's looking to climb the ranks and evolve or uh, revolutionize the way that they're doing business within their organization. What are some tips or tricks that you would have in those initial conversations with those managers, the senior leadership, the key stakeholders? Like what is Sally doing to really, I guess, get to understand what's gonna motivate them? What do they define as success? What are some, some key takeaways that our audience can take from conversations that you typically like to have? So I think one of the most important things really to do when you operate in the people HR space is to really understand your business. 
Um, if you don't understand your business and you don't understand what the needs are, it's really hard to deliver at a high level. And so, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask if you can go to meetings that maybe aren't in your specific wheelhouse because you need to understand because how can you help people, you know, grow and develop? How can you coach? How can you work on career development if you don't understand what those pieces are? And it doesn't mean that you need to be an expert. It does need, you know, mean that you need to understand so that you can operate in a space where if you need to get A and B done as a company, how can you help grow and develop and coach your people to get there? I love that. Absolutely. I, I, Sally, I think that's great. I, I tell HR practitioners all the time that I'm coaching that the most important thing that you can do as you step into an HR generalist or business partner role is really to kind of understand how your business makes money and how they can lose money on the other end. Um, you know, you can teach or you can understand HR policy and procedures, but knowing how your business line, you know, specifically kind of generates profit or profit or helps the organization, you know, achieve success is key. Um, Sally, if you don't mind, I want to jump back to the pre-IPO days. So, um, you know, you, you mentioned you kind of joined in October. Yeah. Um, you, you IPO'd in March. That, <laughs> that had to be a wild ride for one. So, you know, congratulations there. Thank you. Um, yeah, ton of fun. Wild ride, lots of fun. <laughs> <laughs> Can you take our listeners through sort of the IPO process from sort of the build up to launch and maybe kind of put it in more of a people perspective? Sure. And so, you know, I think one of the things that I always try to be cautious of is people think suddenly that, you know, a company is public and like the world changes overnight. You know, for most companies, when you go from being private to public, you're already doing the right things as a private company. You're already having great practices in place. And so one that you, you know, go to bed and you work for a private company and the next day you wake up and you work for a public company. Um, and while there's a lot more visibility to that, in reality, your day-to-day -day should not effectively change because the things that got you to the point to be able to go from private to public are the things that got you to that point. So I, you know, I, I was super cautious with my teammates. I had worked for both private and public companies before coming here to ACV. And so I understood that. But I do think, you know, going from private to public, some people maybe had an idea that things would be majorly changed. And while there are certain things that change from a reporting perspective and, and certain requirements, the day-to-day -day of what most people do in their job did not really change from day one to day two. That's awesome. Interesting. What, what, how did that add, I guess, to the culture? Would you say like the team camaraderie totally changed and shifted or did you see more teamwork happening because they were all working towards, I guess, that big goal? Like, did yeah, you I, th I think to the earlier point, you know, we were already doing those yeah. things that got us to that point. And so we just continued um, to execute on those at the highest level. Um, and as you know, you know, going from private to public, there's a lot of things that happen behind the scenes mm -hmm. and, you know, a limited number of folks that know, you know, up to certain points of that. And again, you know, for a lot of folks, it was, you know, day one, two, three, I'm doing these things, day 24, 25, 26, I'm doing those same things. I'm going out, I'm getting my job done. I have the support I need. You know, I have the tools I need to do my job. And those things don't change kind of from one to the next. That's awesome. How, how cool was it to ring the bell at the New York Stock Exchange? <laughs> it was cool, actually. It was fun, you know, to be in Times Square, to be there with my team, many of whom I had met for the first time that morning as we headed to NASDAQ in person. Um, so that was kind of a really interesting, like, hey, how are you? We're going public today, which is pretty cool. Um, but it's a great group of folks. And as we talked about earlier, we all felt like we knew each other already because, you know, we've all learned to, to use, you know, formats like this, right? I mean, I can create a relationship on Zoom just as well in person at this point. It doesn't, it's not unusual, um, but it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. 
you know, to be able to do that as a team. Very exciting. So, so cool. When I saw your picture and you get to see the VP of people and culture up on with like the big guys. Uh, and it's just, it was like, you were my idol, right? I kept calling you a unicorn. I was like, Oh my God, Sally's up there. She's rubbing elbows with those guys at the New York. Oh, you're so funny. Yeah. We're all one awesome. team. Um, and I'm very lucky to be on a team, you know, that, you know, we are all equal here, you know, within yeah. our, our executive team. Um, and we all, you know, lean in. Um, in our company, I think that's one of the things that is, you know, part of our culture is that we all connect really well together, regardless of what people's roles are, um, regardless of whether, you know, you're in the field, whether you're at headquarters, whether you're in, you know, accounting or finance or on the people team, um, we all lean in and help each other. And it is one, one team. That's awesome. Yeah. And it sounds like you guys can protect each other's time too, because we all know you need more time in your day to kind of get to this fun stuff. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask, because I know a little bit more about your history, and um, one of the most prized companies, I think, to come out of Rochester is Wegmans. Obviously, everybody knows Xerox, we know Kodak, we know some of the big, big hitters that were on the uh, publicly traded themselves. Um, but a private company uh, owned by the Wegmans family, uh, everybody loves going to Wegmans because it's an experience. And I think people really enjoy the um, satisfaction of the employees of Wegmans, right? Everybody seems to always have a smile on their face. They're always willing to, to, help, to help you out. And I can honestly say in other department stores, you don't get that same feel. Um, what did you learn, um, I guess, coming from the Wegmans family tree, if you will, if we're going to kind of do the coach comparison to the NFL, what did you learn in the, that role and how did that propel you to become the strategic HR business partner that really focuses on the people and the culture? Yeah, so I'll actually start a little bit before that. So pretty much every job I've ever had starting in my first job was really kind of customer facing and really kind of with a service mentality. And that continued when I went to Wegmans, of course, right, as you can <laughs> tell. Um, but really being there was, you know, understanding the concept of when you put your teammates, your employees first the business results then follow behind. And I, I've had that pretty much in every company I've ever worked for. Um, I've either gotten really lucky or I've been really smart about that, but I've really worked for companies that, you know, do value that and that understand that when you do right by your, your employees, when you give them what they need to be successful and when they feel taken care of, they're going to then give great service to whether it's external customers, whether it's, you know, whatever they're doing in their day, when they feel taken care of, they can then excel. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great, Sally. And, and kind of going back to your history, you know, kind of, as Kevin mentioned, growing up through Wegmans and then kind of elevating your career through organizations like GPC and Delaware North, how have you sort of seen the function of HR sort of evolve over time? Yeah, I mean, definitely over time, it's gone from what I would call a paper push, right? You do the, the tactical, technical things, and uh, that's what people think you do. You know, you're a party planner, you, you know, handle the paperwork piece, you're the, the disciplinarians. And in reality, right, the evolution of the people space of HR is really a, a partner. It's really helping people to be the best they can be. And as a result, you're actually driving the results of the business every day. And so there's no more of this, you know, HR should sit in this side space. It's, you know, at the table all the time, you know, connecting and coordinating. And I think that's been, you know, I've been in HR a little bit longer than you have. Um, but during that time, there really has been this evolution. And there is always going to be a need for the tactical and technical. And I don't want to underplay that because those things all have to happen. But then there's also the very strategic partnership and how you use those technical and tactical to drive the success of a business. I love that. A absolutely. I couldn't agree more. 
when, yeah, when it's, it's been exciting to watch that, right? I think, you know, some companies had a little bit of an earlier learning curve on that, but most folks are now on that. It's not just, you know, are you getting those basic things done? It's what's the next level? Where do you sure. do your pathing? How are you helping people to develop? How do they see themselves with you in a year, three years, five years, 10 years? And what are you doing to help people see that? Wow. Absolutely. And I know a lot of that takes like critical conversations for you, Sally, right? A lot of that is you have to put yourself out there. And I think sometimes um, we let our fear kind of hold us hostage, right? We're almost afraid to speak up in a meeting um, because we're afraid of being told no ourselves, right? Or that's a bad idea. Um, in those critical conversations, because it is something that I am terrible at, I am on my third book, I think, on a workbook now on critical conversations. But when you are working and trying to, I guess, develop a manager from a manager to a leader, and you're really trying to get them to understand how they're having a, a negative impact on the relationship, on the culture, how do you have those critical conversations with those managers? And what advice would you give, again, to the audience in HR that might have a manager that has the highest turnover in the organization, but they've been there for 20 years and they're almost protected? How do they have that critical conversation with that manager that they're looking to evolve into a leader? So I think the first thing is you need to create a connection with that person. And so you can understand where they're coming from, because you can't come in with the, I have the solution. I know your problem. Here's what you need to do. So you really need to invest yourself in the process. You need to find out, you know, tell me, tell me what's going on. Tell me, how's your team? What are you thinking? And trying to get to the root cause before we come in and, and deliver a solution. So understanding where that person's coming from and then trying to identify where those risk or gap areas are and then working together on it so that it doesn't feel like this is being done to me. It's really a connection and it's really kind of an opportunity together to identify challenges and then work through what, you know, the solutions or opportunities might be. So that foundation is super important. And, and, and I know that um, a lot of times with the advancements in technology, right, um, every, everything is evolving so fast. Um, we've seen job titles change by the minute, um, it seems like when a new piece of technology, but it's the companies that are, are smartly using technology, if that's even a word. Yep. Um, I know that's an important part to what you do because you, you want to give your time, your team's time to be in the field, having these conversations, building these types of relationships, not only externally, but internally as well. How do you how do you see the future of technology enabling the success of HR to, to continue this progression or this evolution, if you will, into that that key business partner to an organization's success? Yeah, so there's obviously a lot of different types of technology, right, that we could be talking about. We could talk about things like we are right now, right? I could be 2,000 miles away from someone and feeling like they're in the room next to me. You're talking about technology that can pull data analytics and reporting. And so depending on, you know, which type that we're talking about, I think it's also acknowledging, however, that those are only tools. They don't kind of take the place of doing other things. So you might have a um, performance management system. You may have, you know, data points, but that doesn't take away from the fact that you actually still have to have the conversation with your teammate about what you need them to do. And they need to be able to have the conversation about what they need from you as a leader. And so understanding that technology is a tool, it doesn't take the place mm -hmm. of what we need to do. And I think that's really important. It doesn't become a, well, I, you know, I put it in a document. Did you read it? You still need to have the conversation. Hey, Kevin, let's talk about how everything's going. How are you feeling about your performance, right? And you yeah. can kind of use the system to back it up or to give data about, you know, information, but really it still comes back to the human touch. Yeah. 
now. I, I think you I think you made a really good point there. And, and I kind of want to piggyback off of that because we see the hot topics all over, you know, HR message boards at conferences around this idea of people analytics. And we know that some organizations are a little bit more receptive than others and a little bit more further along. So for those organizations that have recognized the need and are receptive to data analytics or people analytics in the HR space, how do you think HR leaders can come to the table and provide value or ROI to executive leadership with that with those data points? So when you think about data points across a business, right, whether it's in the HR people space, whether it's in any other space, that is usually what drives people to understand, right? You know, how are you doing in a, a store's performance? What are your sales like? What are your metrics? And so when you're able to speak in the same type of language or information, it tends to connect better with people who are used to functioning that way versus having them look at things from a different perspective. Um, and so being able to come with the same type of metrics as far as whether it's anything you know basic like turnover, whether it's time to fill roles um, or whether it's more complex solutions, when you can present it in a way that's familiar, you tend to be able to have better connections. I love that. Do, do you All think right. that is, is kind of you know the same approach that say a smaller mid-sized organization can take where people analytics aren't being discussed today? Yeah, and I don't think people analytics has to be overly complex either, right? Depending on the scope of the business, depending on someone's knowledge, right? They may be more entry level in a, a people or an HR space, um, but just to start to kind of talk with that, you know, type of language, or even if it's, you know, last month we had X amount of people leave and we hired Y amount, it doesn't have to be super detailed. And I think people get a little bit nervous about analytics because they think that you need to be you know, a superstar in analytics to even be able to enter the conversation. And I think the reality is you, we all start somewhere with everything that we do. And so starting somewhere gets you on the path to where you might end up. But if you don't ever start, you're never going to get to that end point. Sure. Great what point. are you telling your team to always kind of stay ahead, right? I mean, we're always learning. Um, we know in leadership, a constant learning is, is, is a must. And, and like you were saying, culture is never like finite. It's always evolving. It's always adapting kind of to the socioeconomic complex that's happening outside of its walls that it has no control over. Um, but what are you, how are you upskilling your HR staff? Like what new skills do you think will be needed by HR in the future? Where, where do you think the, the field is headed and, and how can HR professionals, what should they be focusing on now? I know you touched on build, building their business acumen, probably understanding a profit and loss statement just at its highest level, um, just so they can have that commonality. Um, like, you, like you mentioned, there's just both speaking in the same language. Um, but what skills do you think are going to be necessary in order to be successful? Like you have been in HR and do you think HR will be potentially more CEO, executive director roles in the future as well? I think they already are in many cases. I mean, you know, we talked earlier, you know, it depends on each org and where they are um, and where the vision is. Some of it is, you know, what an organization may or may not be ready for, but also it's, you know, what the HR practitioner, you know, expects out of their team. You know, I think back probably, I don't know, 10 years um, as I was growing in my career, I had a leader that reached out to another one and said, you know, I don't know about this you know, what should I do? And, you know, the answer was, I'm not sure why you're asking me. I'm not the expert. Why don't you go back and ask, you know, our HR team and do what they ask. Um, and so really having that support mm -hmm. um, and having people understand that, you know, people may be experts in what they're doing. We are experts in what we do. And we have to own that um, mm -hmm. to a large degree. And so feeling that you have the tools you need. And so if you're talking about, you know, whether it's, you know, tactical and technical, a labor law, an implication, 
a policy, making sure that you are well-educated and understand in the same way that we expect people to be knowledgeable in their specific roles as well. And then being confident enough to say, this is, you know, what we need to do. Here's the information. And then, you know, working on that, that's how you earn respect. Um, and that is, you know, the same way everybody does. So whether you are in, you know, um, whatever the role is, you know, people grow in their careers, they learn, they ask questions, we have to, to do the same. You know, I'm never afraid if I don't understand something or I don't know, I get an expert. Mm -hmm. If I don't understand, you know, something about the business, I ask. And I think that sets a good example for people is that, you know, you have to be able to show that we don't know everything, that there are things that we all continue to need to learn. And that then, you know, sets a great modeling for people that we are trying to coach, because then they are less um, afraid themselves to say, I don't know how to do that. You know, I understand what I need to do, but I don't know how to do it. So if we're modeling those behaviors, they can then do the same. It creates a really good cycle. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, it's, and that brings me to the question that I always want to ask HR leaders, especially because you're the head of culture, you, you are setting the mission, vision, and value statements, right? Um, I've been a part of organizations. I've seen organization signs and I know differently, right? They see that you see these signs, right? You see these values and then you go into a sales meeting and the values are kind of out the door and it's, it's whatever the values of that particular leader are, right? How do you uphold or protect the values? And like, how important do you think that is in being in HR when you see a value that's being contested or, or challenged, right, by, by a particular individual? How do you uphold those values and how important do you think that is to really building a sound culture? I think it's incredibly important. If you're going to say, you know, we're going to do A or we believe in B and you don't, you know, make sure that you're upholding those values, it damages a lot. And so really having the courage and the ability to say, you know, that doesn't match with our values. This is what we need to do moving forward is really important. Generally, I find that when people are, you know, exhibiting behaviors that maybe don't match, it's generally not on purpose. And so a lot of times people just need to kind of understand, maybe they didn't understand how it wasn't supporting, maybe they, they weren't connecting the two things together. And so really kind of being that, you know, coach or that, you know, trusted advisor is really important. And that's, you know, earlier we spoke about, you know, creating relationships with people, you have to be able to create relationships with people where you can say, hey, we need to, we need to have a chat. You know, how did you think that conversation went? What did you think about that meeting? And let them, because a lot of times people will then say, you know what, it kind of went sideways. It didn't go exactly the way I would have wanted. And then you have like that touch point. Sometimes people don't. And then you can say, you know, it sounds like you felt that meeting went really well. I'm not sure if you, you know, picked this up or if you saw that. And it again, creates a start point. Hey, you could start saying, would you say that in an interview? I was at the Global Leadership Summit and that, that was like one of the one of the takeaways and I was dying laughing because it was like, would you say that in an interview? And everybody's like, oh, no, I probably wouldn't. Because everybody's like, oh, I'm a team player. I love everybody. I'll help anybody out. <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. Absolutely. What, um, one other question that I had um, talking about really um, organizations right now um, probably feel like they're almost fighting a lot more fires um, instead of lighting the way. I, I see ACV auctions, you're, pre you're pretty much lighting the way now, right? Um, you've, you've, you've really invested in your people. You see them as the pivotal um, piece to the puzzle um, of success um, for, the, for both the key stakeholders internally and externally. Um, and it's kind of changing and evolving. We see the SEC starting to change and disclose some of these workforce metrics now um, because they understand the value of people. Uh, where do you want to see ACV auctions in the next five years? 
Look, I think that we have a tremendous foundation. You know, when I came here, there was already a great culture. What we've continued to do is build on that. Um, you know, in the time that I've been here, we've done things, you know, we have a zero premium health care for all of our teammates that are benefits eligible. Um, and I think that's, you know, incredible. And so when we go back to, you know, talking about having people feel like they're well taken care of so that they can then focus on, you know, the tasks at hand is really important. Um, and you talked earlier about, you know, how do you connect with leaders and all those pieces? It's really being aligned on that. You can't talk the talk without walking the walk. So if you're going to say, or people come first, we're going to do everything we can to take care of them, you actually have to be able to deliver on that. And that doesn't mean that things happen overnight. It does mean that you're in a constant forward motion to continue getting better. And no matter how good you are, there's always an opportunity to be better. There's never this, we've reached the summit, you're there, there's no work to do. It's a continual pivot and it's a continual kind of forward motion. You know, again, you know, if you would have looked at companies a year ago, a year and a half ago, nobody would have said global pandemic. What does that mean? How does that impact, you know, work from home? And so no matter where you think you are, there's always things that you can do to keep, you know, um, improving. And then there's always new things that come out that become available or new things that, you know, come to the forefront. So you have to be willing to change. You can't say this is what we're going to do when, you know, we're done and we're going to do this for the next 10 years. I love that. You can always get better. Um, and Sally, I think we, we've talked a lot. We've focused on the strategic side of HR and, and, and really kind of with a focus on HR leadership. I think a good portion of our, of our listener base, you know, might be newer to HR or maybe studying HR. Where do you see sort of the white space within the function today? You know, where <laughs> folks from college can kind of come in and, um, and really make an impact out of the gate. Yeah, I think um, one of the things that I think would be super important for someone very new to an HR or people space is don't be afraid to get, you know, dug in and don't be afraid to kind of learn about things that might be outside and kind of take on some stretch. Um, you know, throughout my career, I've always kind of raised my hand and said, oh, that project needs to be done. Can I be a part of that? You know, oh, that sounds interesting. Can I join in? And I think that's important because especially, you know, whether somebody's maybe specializing, maybe they work in a benefits role or a comp but they might not have the other, or they work you know, in employee relations and don't have the other experience, whenever you can lean in and learn other things, like I still learn things every day. I ask questions, I get myself involved. And so I think as someone enters a space, you can't say like, well, I work in comp or I work in benefits or I work in employee relations. It really needs to be, you know, we're in this people space. And the more that we know across the areas, even just from learning, the more um, impact we'll be able to have. And so yeah. not to be afraid just to kind of ask questions, learn, and to do the things that you might be a little bit afraid to learn about, or you don't know, so you don't ask, ask the questions, put your hand up, you know, don't be afraid to, to ask, you know, to, for, you know, new knowledge. Yeah. So it's almost like this, the, what you said from a macro level at the business, you know, we can always be better as a business. We can always be better as individuals. We can be lifelong learners and, you know, be a sponge and take in, in information. I think that's Absolutely. great. Like I said, I mean, I learn every day. There's always something new to learn. Um, and I think as long as people approach that, you will continue kind of your growth and evolution. Powerful. So one of my favorite questions I always ask HR professionals, right? Why did you originally, Sally, get into HR? Because I know you have a degree in uh, your first degree was in business communications, which is probably helping you significantly. And then you went back and got your master's in human resources. I did. Um, and so, yeah, I can tell you a little bit about kind of how that started. So I had um, communication with a business was my first major. I somehow lucked into a second major of health science, not related, but it worked <laughs> out that way. Um, and during... Um, 
think early my senior year, I took a labor relations class and I had a local labor attorney actually out of Rochester taught the class. And I was like, this sounds kind of fun. Um, and then I, you know, kind of explored and then I did, I went for my master's directly after. Um, and, you know, I just really, I really like people. I yeah. love helping people. And this was really a great opportunity to take a business acumen and apply it in a way that really impacts a large group of folks at a regular basis. You're here. I'll roll out that soapbox because I think we, Bobby and I always say, I think we can change the world. We can get back to being a community when businesses get better, when leaders get better. Um, and it really is all driving from the HR because we're the, we're the people people. So it's, it's our opportunity to really improve. And I know you guys are doing and living that day in and day out. Um, as we're wrapping up here, Sally, um, I always want to know uh, some of the answers to um, skills questions, right? <laughs> if you could learn one skill overnight and become an expert in tomorrow, what skill would that be? And why would you, why would you choose that particular skill? Well, that's an interesting question. I, I think really the skill would be um, probably to read people's minds, quite frankly. <laughs> not a skill when you that figure that have. out, let me know. <laughs> yeah. Because really in, in reality, what we do a lot, right, we're assessing situations and, you know, like we've talked about thematically here, it's really trying to understand, you know, the root cause of things. And then you can kind of build, you know, a lot of the challenges we have is we're trying to make a solution when we don't fully understand that. And so really, you know, a, a, the skill is to continue to evolve, to be able to have kind of the patience sometimes mm -hmm. to get to that route without just creating solutions along the way. Um, and then for me, probably on the analytics side, you know, I'm not analytics, you know, by trade. Um, I definitely, you know, have learned a lot more about analytics. I understand their value. I think, you know, as you know, the people profession has evolved. There's a lot more types of analytics. There's a lot more standard practices, but we don't necessarily have a standard, right? There's three different ways you can calculate turnover. There's all of these different things. And so, whereas in like accounting, you have standard accounting principles, we don't necessarily have those in the people space. And so really kind of continuing to evolve that. So when you're talking, you don't have to kind of clarify, this is the methodology we use or becomes like the standard practice. Um, and so, you know, that might not be that if I could develop a skill overnight, but I would say that those are the things that I can you know, continue to work on. That's, that's so cool to hear you even say, because I, I, I see that definitely being the future ISO coming out with two certifications now. I mean, it's coming, right? And, and yeah. we always talk about how, how bookkeepers went to the right hand uh, man or woman of the CEO, because they were the only ones arming them with any new information, right? And that was the accounting, nationally accepted accounting principles, yeah. like you mentioned. Um, one thing, uh, and Bobby, I got one more question, um, and then I'm going to let you end it. But something I want to know, because you have your pulse, right? You get to hear what people are saying during interviews. You get to hear it and talk directly with your team on the front lines, having these conversations. Um, one of the things I want to know is where do you see the future of work headed, right? Where I know we're talking about work from home. We're talking about gig work. We're talking about buying, renting, growing, or, or botting talent today. Where are you seeing the future of work? I think what we'll continue to see is that we'll continue to evolve. And so I love like the HR evolution, right? The revolution um, in that there's not going to be this static, you know, Monday through Friday, eight to four. It hasn't been like that in a long time, but all of these things that I think we need to be very cautious to kind of look at them as threats to one another and really, you know, look at how they interplay. And so in some circumstances, work from home may, may be the right thing to do. Some circumstances, it's not even possible, right? You're a customer facing, you're forward, you're out. 
um, in public. And so I think being aware that there is no one size fits all approach, it's really going to depend on the business, on the needs, on where you live, on the type of work you do. Um, and as the world continues to evolve, you know, what that feels like. I definitely do see this, you know, the folks that are work from home and love it, there is this missing of other people, even for the most introverted of folks. So I do think you're going to continue to see this like evolution of there isn't going to be this one finite answer. It's going to be this continual kind of happening of what works. And I think, you know, in five years, we'll look back at this conversation and we'll say, wow, you know, where were we and where are we now? And every year, every six months, every month, that's going to change just mm -hmm. based upon the world around us. Technology changes, the world changes, things like that. Yeah. And you're so it'll be fun to look back and see. It will be. I had to ask you because I know you're so in tune with the labor market. And it's just it's interesting to kind of hear people's perspectives as to where we're headed, because you start reading studies about how gig work is going to eat into 60 percent of the, the the job force and and the advancements in AI and technology. And then some some jobs are displaced and then they have to reskill or upskill themselves. Bobby, yeah, so what did you going to be a constant kind of movement? Yeah. All right. So, uh, Sally, I know I wanted to just say thank you so much for the opportunity to even have this uh, floor with you. Um, I feel like I'm talking again to my role model idol. It's amazing just to hear uh, your progression in the HR field um, and really how you went from obviously learning some some pivotal things from the Wegmans family tree. Um, that really propelled you into the future, but you went back even further than the Wegmans and just went back into when you were in the field itself, right? When you were had that job where you, that customer service was so important and how that carried you forward. And then you brought in your business communications degree and found people and you loved helping others. And that's how you found your way into HR, but you're always focused on how to add value back to the organization, developing those vitally important internal relationships and always challenging yourself to head towards the problems instead of running away from them. And I think that's really what makes you different. Um, but hopefully everybody enjoyed this episode, Sally, but thank you. Thank you. Thank you again for being a part of the show with Bobby and I, and hopefully the HR community can take some of these examples of Sally and how she approaches the role of HR and this revolution of the function of HR for the evolution of business. Yeah, well, Thanks, Kevin, you know, Kevin and Bobby, thank you so much for having me today. Certainly, it's been a pleasure. Um, always, you know, look forward to sharing my knowledge and always look forward to learning from others. Um, I hope out of this, you know, folks have been able to take away, you know, some next opportunities for themselves. Um, but also, you know, I look forward to connecting with more folks because that's how I learn as well. So thank you again for the opportunity to join both of you today. It was a blast, Sally. Thanks, Sally. It would be. <laughs> Bye, guys. Take care. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take care.